0: Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bring you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week we look back on classic family shows as we put the wild house up against Maniac Mansion and we take a special look at the truly outstanding family ties starring a young Michael J. Fox. So let's get started and uh, joining me as ever it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. Uh, but you know what? For the longest time, I kept thinking it was called Manic Mansion. Yeah, yeah, I can see that.
1: I think because I think you put the notes Manic Mansion right, and then um, yeah, I was looking at it, and then I was like Maniac Mansion. I was like, that's not Manic Mansion. Do I you know, know.
0: It, the, the the brain skips letters, doesn't it? Sometimes so. it does.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you read it like normal, right? Even if it was like spelled like that way, you still read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that show later, but maybe it should have been called Manic Mansion. Maybe it would have been an improvement. But uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But uh, we're going to kick off with the special and family ties. So yeah, this show first came out in September 1982. And some of the things happening in the world. The first emoticons are posted by Scott Fahlman. The first International Day of Peace is proclaimed by the United Nations. Amin Gemayel is elected president of Lebanon. The Incubus is in the cinemas. And Past the Duchy by Musical Youth was number one in the charts. So Family Ties now. So this was a american sitcom tv series created by gary david goldberg and it's basically about how the united states was moving from cultural liberalism of the 1960s and 70s to conservatism of the 80s and this culture was particularly expressed through the relationship between young republican alex p keaton and his ex-hippie parents Stephen and elise keaton And regarding the concept of the show, creator Goldberg said, and I quote, it really was just an observation of what was going on in my own life, my own friends. We were these kind of radical people and all of a sudden you're in the mainstream. But now you've got these kids and you've empowered them and they're super intelligent and they're definitely to the right of where you are. They don't understand what's wrong with having money and moving forward. And the recurring theme involved Alex hatching a scheme involving some amount of greedy money making, which led to a humorous misadventure and ended up with Alex being forced to apologize for his choices. And according to Goldberg, we actually had this structure that we'd inherited from Jim Brooks and Alan Burns, which was six scenes and a tag. And then the last scene became Alex apologizes in every show. We just left it up. Alex apologises, some version of it. Nevertheless, Fox's portrayal of a likeable Alex proved to be an important part of the show's success. Goldberg again stated, With Alex, I did not think I was creating a sympathetic character. Those were not traits that I aspired to and didn't want my kids to aspire to, actually. But at the end of Family Ties, when we went off the air, then the New York Times had done a piece and they said, greed with the face of an angel. And I think that's true that Michael J. Fox would make things work and the audience would simply not access the darker side of what he is actually saying. The theme song, Without Us, was composed by Jeff Barry and Tim Scott in 1982. During the first season, it was originally performed by Dennis Tufano and Mindy Sterling. For the rest of the show's run, the song was performed by Johnny Mathis and Denise Williams. A full-length version of Without Us is featured on Mathis and Williams' debut album, Without Us, which was released by Columbia Records. And there was even a reference of the show on WandaVision. And on a very special episode, the fifth episode, it stylized the title sequence, partially parodying the family's opening and depicted the family first as a penciled sketch before finishing as a painted portrait along with an upbeat theme song praising the family's love and closeness. In the episode, the Scarlet Witch and Vision are attempting to navigate raising their new children, Tommy and Billy, both of whom are developing superhero abilities of their own. If you haven't watched WandaVision, people, I could not recommend it enough. I thought WandaVision was brilliant. Shouldn't come as a surprise, but this show won plenty of awards. And Michael J. Fox won Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series three times in 1986, 1987, 1988. He also won Best Performance by an Actor in a TV Series in 1989. And Justine Bateman and Tina Yothers won Best Young Actress in a Television Comedy Series and Best Supporting Actress in a TV Comedy Series. They won Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series and Outstanding Technical Direction. So yeah, they cleaned up when it came to the awards. The characters. So we'll start with Elise Donnelly Keaton, who was played by Meredith Baxter-Burney. She's a successful architect and an ex-hippie liberal who lived in California in the 60s. And she's a patient, caring, and loving wife and mother. Michael Gross plays Stephen Keaton who's a branch manager of the local PBS station, can be argumentative at times, but at the end, he's a diligent and supportive father. Michael J. Fox plays Alex P. Keaton, who's an intelligent and ambitious young Republican with only two goals in life to be successful and make money. Justine Bateman plays Mallory Keaton, who's an unscholarly material girl, but kind-hearted and inoffensive, and her only main interests are shopping and boys. Tina Yothers plays Jennifer Keaton and she's a tomboy who cares mostly about athletics and she shares her parents' liberal views in contrast to her siblings' more conservative views. And there was a... They had the little brother, Andrew, as well, who was like a a baby throughout most of the run. So, family ties.
1: I think it's no surprise for an Englishman not to have seen this film. Uh, sorry, this program. But I... was. I'd, I'd definitely heard of it. I I didn't know what it was about or anything like that, or the characters or the actors involved with it. But um, this was a nice little surprise for me. I thought this was a really well-presented show with really well-thought-out characters that were, you know, investable, if that's even a word.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. This, This is like top five of all time that we have done. I absolutely loved this show. This was... Like you said, brilliantly written, very, very well done. The characters, yeah, they were investable, particularly Alex. You're thinking everything about him you should hate, but you don't. And you kind of feel a lot of sympathy for who he is and what he's doing. And even throughout the series, you see the growth in him, in his character. He becomes less uh, driven by money and all those things. Obviously, he still has that in the back of his head, but he's a lot more sympathetic. you'll see that initially you might not think he has a lot of respect for his dad because he's not good with the money or he might be too naive. But you'll see like throughout the the series, you'll see that he'll grow respect for his um, dad. And I just wanted to say about Michael J. Fox, oh, what a brilliant actor he is. Absolutely exceptional actor. And I think he was still doing family ties in the middle of the Back to the Future films as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, because I've not really seen him in much else apart from Back to the Future.
0: He was in Scrubs for two episodes and he was brilliant in that as well.
1: Yeah, I I, I did see the Scrubs on his IMDb, um, but I, ha- I don't know if I've seen the, I've probably seen the episodes I've seen, up until JD left, I've seen most of the um, Scrubs episodes. So, but yeah, I, I think that is one of those, he's kind of like immortalized in Back to the Future for most people, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is for me. I mean, I. Back to the Future will always have a, a special place in, in, in my heart. I think it's a wonderful film. Just love it so much.
1: I've never seen it as an adult. Like, I've seen it as a kid, but I've not gone back and watched it as an adult. So um, I would be really uh, interested to see what I actually think of it.
0: Oh, no, no. It still holds up for me. Particularly the first one. I mean, the second and third are good. But I, I yeah, I mean. It, yeah, they're they're just I don't know, it's not, not not bad, but it's 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 okay, but it's just yeah, the first one for me. Just it's this it's 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 a near perfect film, I think, the first one. And um I read about how he's got Parkinson's disease, which uh Mark J. Fox, yeah, I was reading about that, and uh man, th- this dude deserves his flowers and everything that goes with it. He's just everything that I've seen him in. He's he's just great in it. He's he's he like in scrubs episode. I think he plays a guy with um severe OCD and he was just he played that role just so well. It, I I wish he was there longer. I wish I wish they gave him um a recurring role where he could come back every once in a in a while instead of just a instead of a guest appearance, but he was he was just so so good in that and some of these episodes that he was in on his own that we're going to talk about now, like he was just unreal. Like the acting was unreal. If, if I, if, if I did have a criticism of the show for me, it's, um, look, it's, it's a fantastic show. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant show. But once they do like the serious stuff, they always have to like try and crowbar a joke in, and I thought you don't need to do that, man. Just just let things slide. So like in some of the more serious episodes, they'll do a really serious moment. And then literally two seconds later there's a a, a joke. Comic relief moment. Yeah, I, I think I think I think with the comic relief, I think sometimes of course it's good to have comic relief. But like I think they kind of overdid it with the comic relief. Sometimes just 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 let the scene be. Just let it ride for me. But that's yeah, that's literally me nitpicking and being.
1: I think the only criticism for me was that I didn't have enough time to watch as many episodes as I would like to because this is one of those shows where it's easy to just sit down and watch this episode. Sorry, so watch this, you know, these these uh, this program and 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 really get into it. It's not hard to watch it at all. You just sit down and you absorb everything. I think it's so well written, you can just sit down and watch it, which is. Um, Definitely was a relief when I was watching this one this week.
0: Cool. So yeah, right. Let's uh, let's get right into it and let's talk about episodes.
1: Right. So I watched the pilot and I also watched um, a two-part episode called um, "My Name Is Alex." And, spoiler alert, I watched it the wrong way round. Um, <laughs> um, um,
0: yeah, with My Name is Alex, that two-part episode won the 1987 Emmy for Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series. And, in 1997, TV Guide ranked this episode number 68 on its 100 Greatest Episodes of All Time list.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Especially, like it, for me, like the, the second part was like a theatre production on stage. Yeah. And it was kind of like a and it worked really oh, anyway, I'll talk about that later. <laughs> just because I'm gonna go I'm gonna go ahead and forget the pilot. So um so basically uh it starts off in the and, and the, the the parents are showing some kids and we, we don't know that anyone's name yet, obviously it's a pilot episode, and they're showing um the kids pictures from uh, what I understood to be a protest for the Vietnam War. Um I could be mistaken in that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Basically, mum and dad a bit of the kind of the hippie characters. Um, I don't know if there's a politically correct way of saying that, but they're basically the hippies, right? They're 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 protesting, they're they're pro peace and everything else like that, and they're like hardcore, like kind of left wing here. So we start to learn that Mum is Elise, Dad is Stephen, Big Sisters Mallory and Alex is the boy, and Jennifer's the little. Alex baby. is
0: the oldest.
1: I thought Mallory is the oldest. Okay, so Mallory's kind of the second. Alex is the oldest. Then Mallory, then Jennifer. That's the, that's the way it is at the moment. So dad, is kind of a sweet moment because dad's saying like, they were kind of saying, oh, look how young we look and this and that and the other in the pictures. And then dad's saying to his um, wife, actually, you look better now than you did, you know, back then when you were in your heyday kind of thing, which is quite sweet. So you kind of learn that mum and dad have got this kind of really nice relationship still. Um, Alex is expecting Kimberly to call and he's kind of dressed up smart. And I think that, you know, you this is like a, the really posh girl not so posh guy and he's trying to act like he's the, the you know really posh and well-to-do kind of thing so uh so he's kind of dressed up smart and anyway so she calls and basically she's coming over for dinner he kind of invites her out but Um, he's kind of stressing out about her family because the house isn't quite tidy enough and, you know, they're not well-to-do enough and stuff. And she's a bit weird. When she comes over, she's a bit weird. She's kind of rich and condescending. And Alex is, like, really into her. Like, she's, like, really kind of... She's not rude yet, but she's kind of, like... There's nothing to her personality. And she kind of leaves the room and Alex is like, uh, oh, isn't she amazing? And everyone's all like, no. Alex goes out to her parents for dinner and this kind of dinner dance, but it's in this like elitist club uh, where they don't basically allow no blacks, no dogs, no Irish kind of thing going on, but not really. They just don't admit them into their club kind of thing. So it's a white elitist place. And and basically Stephen and Elise, they, they don't like this because they're trying to taught him to be accepting and more, more to the point that, you know, they, they don't like these places that are just like these elitist places, if that makes sense. Um, so and and steve says right okay i have to draw the line i'm gonna to have to go and sort it out and this is one of the moments that i really liked because he comes out there and he's got his principles and he comes in full beans on his principles and then uh the the kind of the uh i don't the waiting staff but they're not quite waiting stuff because they kind of float around with snacks and drinks and stuff like that and he's kind of like getting on his high horse and he's taking a glass of whatever it is off the tray and sipping that and then he's taking the um what do you call it the um like the canapes kind of thing when they yeah
0: i would have said that
1: yeah so he's kind of like nibbling <laughs> he's kind of really enjoying all of like the you know the high class treats and stuff like that but still on his principles as well so i thought that was a really kind of funny moment so he has obviously having this word of alex saying like we don't do this we're not this kind of family and then alex and 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 Stephen have this really nice moment where they start talking about uh, Dad, Dad's kind of talking about well, when you when you were younger, it was easy to be involved because all I had to do was stop you hurting yourself, stop you eating bad things, and you know, and it was easy to be to know where the line was with um kind of keeping you safe but now that you're older the line between well i wrote it down how they wrote it but it was really nice so yeah so that so the discussion about protecting and interfering as the as the uh, as the as a child grows up into a teenager and an adult that line becomes blurred between protecting and interfering because now they have to start making their own mistakes and um you know figuring out who they are without the parents kind of getting involved and he's just talking about how the parents it's hard to take a step back at that point and know when to take a step back. So I thought that was a really nice moment and, and, and really kind of like hit home, home there. (laughs) And then he just says, and he kind of says to his dad, he says, look, I don't care about all that stuff. I just like, I just like her and kind of like, but not, you know, it's more of, you know, like I fancy a bit of her, I don't care about any of that stuff and I'll do whatever I want to um, do it. And then his dad was talking about how actually that happened to him where he dated someone with right-wing political views just because he fancied a little bit of her. So, um, that you know, it's kind of the same thing all over again. They shake and make up um, and that was the end of the episode. And honestly, I thought it was a really nice pilot, some really nice moments and, yeah, like completely invested from like episode one.
0: Yep, absolutely. I did watch a few, a couple of episodes before My name is Alex. So I went on to season three finale, Remembrance of Things Past. So the baby Andrew is crying all the time and Elise and their grandma. So they're at their grandma's place and they're arguing about spoiling the children. So basically, I think in the previous episode, they go to the grandma's house because I think she wants to sell up and they're having an argument about that. And Steve is saying, "Look, we should try and sell this house, but Robert isn't sure because it's not matching the price." And Robert is basically saying to Steve, "You're so naive. You you're, 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 you 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 want to drop the price down like five thousand pounds and and things like that." And then he says, "I've been here for my mum the whole time. Where have you been? You've been nowhere. I've always had to look after mum while you went off to go and live your life. How do you know what's best for mum? Because obviously." He's like, I want what's best for mum. Their retirement home is going to be good now that her husband, the, their dad has passed. And so Stephen's having flashbacks of when he was a kid. And so we'll see, we see that how his dad used to be really harsh on him. So they're all basically getting dressed up, going to their grandma's house. But was like, you know what, I want to have a day off. I don't want to go. And then obviously his dad's like, are you telling me no? He's like, you better march your ass up them stairs and get dressed. And he's like, no. And he's like, I beg your pardon? And he's like, and then obviously Robert as a kid is like, why are you such a jerk? Why are you this and this and this? Why don't you just do as you're told? And so he says, you know what? I want to have a day off. I want to go visit grandma tomorrow. So yeah, Stephen goes then to the cemetery to, to see his dad. And he's basically trying to make amends and he's trying to talk about how he took the good of, of of what he learned from his dad and he's trying to use it with his own family. And so he says, okay, look, we, we didn't get along, but I do love you and I do thank you for everything that you did teach me. Yeah, so Stephen is basically looking at the financial prospectus that uh, his dad used to have And obviously Alex is thinking, oh, I've got a lot in common with my granddad. And based on the depression, we find out that he wasn't much of a risk taker because I think it was based on the the depression. And Alex was saying how he had a lot of um, things in common. And he also, he he misses him so much because obviously he would always call and he'd say three reasons why liberalism can't work. And then Stephen and Robert are talking about everything and how they grew apart. And Robert is saying, "Look, Dad did love you in, in in his own way. Don't worry about it, kind of thing." Robert then agrees to sell the house because obviously, as I look, it's, it's what it's what Mum wants, and it's 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 for the best. Stevens basically looking at Alex, and he's like, "You know what? You you you're gonna you're gonna you've you've developed yourself into a very very good looking man. I was worried that you're gonna end up looking like my uncle Harold." And he's showing all the pictures of his uncles and aunties who aren't here anymore. And it ends with Steve smoking his dad's pipe. And you can hear like all the different voices coming out of the background. Yeah, it was a very, very good episode. And then I watched the opening of series four called The Real Thing. It was a two-parter. So Alex is going to college. He's uh, taking a liking to the girls. So he's looking at this... uh, College prospectus, and he's got these pictures of all these girls and whatnot, and he's like, "Hmm, I like this one. I like this one. I like this one," and then he settles on uh, one girl called Trish, and I like how uh, Lisa Elise is like basically looking at this thing, going, "This is terrible." What do you think, Stephen? And Stephen's basically looking at the the prospectus, going, "Hmm, yes, dear, I I totally disagree." Uh, that was. uh Bit of classic sitcom humor there. So Alex is going to the campus to see the girl Trish, but he bumps into another girl called Ellen, and basically Alex is annoying Ellen in a room, and Ellen has a measure of Alex. She's like, "I know what you're like. You're just here to chase girls," because obviously he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm part of the." Uh, the, the the sophomore campus program and I'm here to like get people to join my club and obviously Ellen's like, yeah, or whatever, like you're not fooling me, mate. And Alex is basically venting to his mum about Ellen saying, Oh, look at this girl I met at, at college, she's so annoying. She 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 it looks like she's got the measure of me. And Alex is studying with Trish. Ellen walks in and tries to get a book, but her shelf falls over. Alex helps, puts it back together, and it falls over again. and they Alex and Ellen start to bond and they start to like each other and Alex is admiring Ellen's painting, but the problem is Ellen has a boyfriend Dennis, and she's thinking about marrying him. Alex has to spend time with Trish studying and finding a dress for the 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 some kind of prom night or whatever they call it in America these days. He doesn't really like her. And it says that he's falling for Ellen. But obviously Steve's like, yeah, there's really nothing that I can do. Alex has to look after Andrew, like babysitting. Ellen comes over and Alex is like, oh, I'm I'm bringing you. He's like, i got this for you. It's a it's a picture of a painting. And it's not, he thought it was a Picasso, but it's a Vince Picardio picture. And at a dance, Alex, Alex is having, he having fun with Trisha. And Alex is getting Ellen to dance. They have a little kiss, but Ellen runs away and Trish comes in. And Trish tells Alex that Ellen agreed to marry Dennis. Then it goes to part two. Yeah, Alex is basically hanging. He's hung up on the dance. And Mallory's basically asking about the dance and things like that, what happened. Trish is trying to call, but Alex is not answering. Alex is trying to talk to Ellen before they've got a test in the class. And he's trying to talk to her. And they basically have to do like a, a written exam on the Ming dynasty. And Alex is offering to drive Ellen to the station. He can't concentrate on the paper. He's only thinking about Ellen and he doesn't even do the test, doesn't even finish it. Alex is trying to talk to Ellen about getting married. And they're basically having a little bicker in the station and Ellen leaves. Basically, his sisters are giving him a bad, a hard time about it all. But Mallory's basically telling Alex to stop moaning. Alex is still ain't happy and he's trying to put on a bow tie to go to a a dinner and he's talking to his mom and he's basically telling her that he's in love with Ellen and she basically encourages him to go and do something about it and Elise is basically she's happy that Alex is showing a sensitive side like his dad and she's saying to Alex that you should have said something to Ellen you should have told her how you felt and so Alex is driving to Lancaster Pennsylvania to see Ellen and he goes to the station and he luckily bumps into Ellen. He's like, look, I think I'm in love with you. You you make me feel a certain type of way. And Ellen is basically saying, I think I'm in love with you too. We're not the same person, but there's a little boy inside of you that's really, really lovely or whatever. And Ellen was like, you know what I said to myself? That if, if Alex was at the train station, I'm not going to get married to this guy. And so they're basically planning on going on a date. And so, yeah, the next episode I did watch was My Name is Alex.
1: Um, so we understand that um, Alex, Alex's mate, Greg, has died. He died in a car crash. Um, and Alex comes in and he's acting like happy, kind of suave. He's, You know, he's just like saying everything went well, you know, kind of acting all the hallmarks of someone that has like proper denial going on here so and he was meant to be in the car and he's kind of happy about it he's kind of saying that um he was meant to be in the car but he told him he was busy um and the selfish selfishness saved his life and i said it looked like he's gonna snap here so and then he sees greg but you know obviously he's kind of like this figment of his imagination kind of thing and sam walks in and he's kind of being crazy like hugging himself kind of thing and then he pretends that he's doing a dance and then kind of greg's playing it uh, sorry, um, Alex is kind of playing it all out in his head. So what actually happened was um, uh, Greg had asked Alex for his help to move a piano. And then I think Greg was 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 an hour late coming or something like that. And Alex had the hump and he didn't want to go. So he said, no, I'm not going to help you. And then sent him, sent him away. And then Greg died um, in a car crash a few minutes later than that. So Alex is trying to kind of make sense of the whole situation. So he's talking to a monk, uh, brother... What's his name? Brother?
0: Brother Timothy.
1: Brother Timothy, that's the one. And he's kind of like trying to decide that um, you know, does he need to connect with God here? He's looking for something, basically. And so he's questioning himself who he is. Hence the last line. Yep. My name is Alex. He wants to be a monk, but uh, he stops because there's no girls allowed, obviously. Then he kind of sees Greg, and he kind of loses it. And then he basically says to his family, his family kind of come in whilst he's talking to Greg. And he says like, why am I alive? Kind of freaks out and, you know, kind of loses it really and so then they decide to take him to a therapist where this is kind of where it overlaps with episode one it's episode two sorry um my notes are quite sparse here and i'll explain why it's because i was just sat down watching this episode so i've kind of picked out a few key moments and you'll probably be able to fill in the gaps but this was definitely a sit down and watch it because yeah when it is when i w- was watching this first of all i didn't understand what was going on because d- this was the wrong way around and and second of all like this is one of the most intense and successful monologue pieces I've ever seen in television or or theatre or anything like that. So it's basically a monologue. This whole this this whole episode is a monologue, sort of. You know, is is there's a few bits and pieces from other people, but most of the time it's a monologue so um anyway so he's talking about school and he's talking about girls and he's kind of in his therapy session so you've got the voice of god which is the therapist and then some other characters that kind of like deal with it it's very theater this episode so he wants to feel safe like he did when he was a boy but he doesn't feel that way anymore he's he's scared of dying he basically has a god complex but he believes in god but he doesn't believe in like the Brother Timothy God where he has to be abstinent and he and he doesn't believe in like uh Mallory's God where it's all something else. And uh, he believes that God is gentle and forgiving and he's not one special form. Yeah. That's about that's all I wrote in that episode. Um, uh, because it was I I can't, you're gonna have to put in the I made for me tons here because... of
0: notes with this episode. I made tons of notes. I'm glad you did because
1: this is, I literally, I, I I, had, I had my laptop in front of me and I was watching, te- watching the TV and I just sat down and I watched it and yeah, it's very, very intense episode, but it's amazing. It's really, yeah, amazing.
0: absolutely magnificent episode. Okay. So Alex is basically, he keeps seeing Greg everywhere he goes at the home or whatever. He wants, he he wants to, uh, bring his parents to see him. He's like, oh, I'm going to bring my parents, I'm going my parents, stay where you are. So he's and and then he's making him a sandwich, and then he's telling him that Alex should be living and there's like no regrets about the crash. obviously Alex is like, I'm sorry, you should not been in that car. You should be alive. You should be um, you should be here with me. And I like how uh, Greg brought uh, Andrew uh, a Bible for like a present because he's like, if he turns out like Alex, then you're gonna need the Bible. I did I did like that. And then yeah, he's he's feeling guilty. His parents say that you know we're gonna help you. They see the the therapist, and they're talking about his childhood, and he even used to like play the stock market when he was a kid because he likes money, and he and he can identify the sound of each coin, and he and when someone drops all the coins, he's like two nickels, a dime, a quarter. I can and three pennies, yeah, and I can recognize the sound of that's really really great, and then he's remembering about how Alex is not sleeping properly, and he's pretending because he wants to stay at home so he can watch the Watergate scandal.
1: Because I've got a good 20 minutes last
0: night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the politics and, and everything like that. Alex is, and you see that how Alex is talking to uh, Mallory and he's talking about how he loves Mallory and he li- likes talking to her. Mallory's saying that uh, she's going on a date with Greg because nobody dies and they can simply go on. Obviously, the therapist, it, th- I think part one ended with the therapist asking, is it hard to be Alex? And then part two is like overlapping, as you said, and, it's, and Alex and Mallory are talking about what heaven is like, and Alex is talking. Alex like said, "On an empty stage, he has a burden to carry because he's special, and he hated how the pressure the pressures he was put on by the teacher." Alex knows. So, though, for example, it'd be like, what, what Christopher Columbus? What was he really looking for? Come on, Alex, save the class, save the day, and he, he didn't really like that. Steven's like, now, now he's in a fantasy with Steve and they're trying to play catch, but Alex wasn't very good. And he's saying that his dad is too nice and he's obviously like there's winners and losers in life. And he's embarrassed that, the, that he once thought that his dad was weak. Yeah, and I he wishes that he was more like his father. He's like, I feel, I feel so bad. And Alex is talking, to, yeah.
1: So just to go back to that moment, I really liked how he said that... um his dad was really strong and he liked the way that his dad didn't have to make you feel like a loser to be a winner and he didn't have to make you you know and i thought that was incredible
0: absolutely absolutely and so alex is now talking about not having siblings and he's talking he's talking to jennifer and how and then you know what he said and this really hits different he talks about how smells leave certain memories so like for example if i can if i if there's like certain tube stations that the smell of that tube station it will literally take me back to like when i'm like one years old two years old i remember that smell or like certain bed covers literally when i'm like a a kid or whatever
1: yeah there's a smell i've got in my head of um when my uh, my dad and i were in a motorbike shop and if i smell that smell again and I, i don't know how old i was but i was very young um you know, like I'm talking about like two or three years old. And as soon as I smell this smell, like kind of petrol mixed with paint, mixed with, you know, kind of a few other bits straight back there.
0: Yeah. 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 And that, and that, that, that little thing we were talking about the radiator smell in the class, there's like certain things that if I like smell it, that I, I'd be like, yeah, I can remember. It. it doesn't even matter how old I am. I will remember that smell. And it's like one of those things that kind of lingers and stays with you forever. And Alex is now talking to Greg and Greg, Greg is like, oh, let's go. It's recess. We have to go and play. And and obviously Alex is like, I'm paying this therapist. I'm having a really hard time. Like, stop wasting my time. I have to pay for this guy. And then he's talking about getting all the attention from his mom. And he's pretending to sneeze. And he looks cheekily to the camera. Where he gets to have hot chocolate and whipped cream with well, cookies. One more sneeze and I
1: get a whipped cream. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and he's like looking at the camera and he does the little wink. I did. Our I louds very very good, and obviously Mallory knows that he's faking it, but Alex knows how to do it, and Alex is showing a, a, his mum a picture that he bought from another student. But obviously she thought that he painted it, and then obviously no, he, he bought it though, didn't he? Yeah, he he bought it, and he's obviously talking about how he felt safe and protected. And then obviously they sing the the song, "Where is Thumpkin? Where is Thumpkin? Here I am, here I am. How are you this morning? Very well, I thank you. Run and hide, run and hide. That 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 again that that hit different as well, where he's talking about how he will never feel that that way, and he will never feel safe and protected in his childhood. Then Nick has come to talk to Alex. But he doesn't want to waste time and money's like, I'm 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 on the clock. And then Alex is trying to play like loud music in his room. Oh, what song they're playing? I can't remember what song. He has a really loud music playing. But I do remember the other song where him and Greg are rocking out to Light My Fire by the Doors. It's a great song that is. And Alex is the one Greg to leave and he wants it to stay forever. And he's feeling heartbroken all over again. Then Andy is coming to talk to Alex and then obviously he tries the same sneezing trick as Alex and then, then the therapist is asking Alex if he believes in God. He talks about how he has certain kind of doubts in that sense. Then he thinks about the amazing things in the world that's been created. Yeah, the and then he's the like, oceans, yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I do. I do believe in God. And I believe in a gentle and a, and a forgiving God. And Alex wants to keep Greg's memory alive. And he wants to take the best version of Greg and use it in his own life. And he's talking about how he can be gentle and how he can be forgiving and be thoughtful and, of course, make a lot of money. And this is where I was talking about the growth of Alex throughout the series. He's a completely different person to how he was in season one to season five or whatever it was. And he wants to talk some more. And so the therapist is like, yeah, sure, we've got plenty of time. And that's when he goes, okay, my name is Alex Keaton.
1: He goes, start from the beginning. You've got so much to say. Start from the beginning
0: amazing oh man what an episode what an episode they did they 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 did that brilliantly brilliantly well and then there's more i went to another episode called all in the neighborhood so they they've got black friends gus and maya and they are coming to dinner and they're talking basically and i like had gus is talking politics with alex and he's like you know alex I cried when uh, Ronald Reagan was elected and Alex is like, yeah, me, me too. And obviously he's like, yeah, I don't think our tears are, are, are the same. <laughs> so they're just basically talking and Elise is basically telling them that there's a house across the street that's for sale. And obviously Gus is like, OK, are there any black families in this neighborhood? And Steve is like, if I'm including you, then one. And so Steve is like, don't, don't worry about it. This neighborhood is fine. We're not, we're not racist or whatever. And, and then obviously Gus likes elevator music or he likes the classic elevator music. And Alex likes that too. And he's just giving him a hug going, oh, you're my guy. We got something in common. And so, yeah, they're looking at the house. And so this uh, realtor, I don't know what her name was, Bums and say Karen. Just, just, just for the for the benefit of this, she's being really, really awkward with them. She's, she's like, like moving out of their way, sort of thing. Like, don't touch me, whatever. Being all like weird, and she's saying all of a sudden, you know what? I can't sell this house. Elise is like, and she's like, oh, the the owners uh, don't want to sell the house. And Lisa's like, what are you talking about? They do want to sell the house. I spoke to them just now. They want to sell the house. They they really want to sell it. And so. She's and then she starts talking about all the horrible things that this house has. Oh, she goes, Oh, you you don't want this house. It's uh, the walls are damp, the the doors are about to break, and all of those things. It's she's like, It's really not going to be up to your standard. And then obviously, Steve and Elise are like, What are you talking about? This house is great. We're like, What? What's going on? And then their son, Michael, is like, Yeah, she doesn't want to sell because we're black. And obviously Steve is disgusted. She's just like, no, uh, of course not. No, no, no. Steve is like, yeah, uh, I'm really like disgusted by this and you should be ashamed. And so she's like, and then obviously Gus takes the, her card. And obviously I think her name is Christine, but yeah, Karen Christine. And he's obviously taking a card. He's like, yeah, I know who you are, Christine. And you're not allowed to do this. This is illegal. And then it cuts to the kids basically staring at a pie that's been baked for the Thompsons. And obviously they're like, oh, this pie looks so good. And obviously they're like, maybe we shouldn't eat it because it's for the Thompsons. And obviously Alex is like, ah, to hell with it. And he's basically trying to cut this pie up. And they're like, freeze, Alex. And obviously he puts the pie down. And obviously he takes a slice and he's like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood, Gus. And he just puts the slice of pie in his hand. And obviously he's like, "Uh, yeah, thanks. Steve sees this letter. he just basically throws it quickly away in the bin and so mallory just grabs the letter and she's like why did you throw it in the bin dad if it's important And obviously she looks at the letter it's a letter from one of the neighbors going yeah we don't really want you in this neighborhood and so she's like i can't believe this happens in 1989 (laughs) you think it happens in 1989 why don't you fast forward 23 years later or however no 33 years later or however However long it is, that that, that line did make me uh, chuckle. And obviously, Gus is like, look, I don't want to cause trouble. What's happening? What's happening? And and Steve is like, you know what? I'm going to help. And so Alex is going to see Michael. And Michael is someone who goes to Harvard. So he's like a really, really intelligent guy or whatever. And Alex reassures Michael that he'll look out for his parents while he's at school and obviously michael's like what do you mean by that and then obviously he tells michael about the racist leaflets that's being passed around steve is outside guarding the house and gus hes obviously gus is inside the house and he's getting a call and he gets angry about it he's like don't call this house again or i'm gonna call the police and he hangs the phone up gus and meyer are worried about michael and then they refuse to move but like michael's like look This is a racist neighborhood. They don't want us here. Why are you being so naive? We should just move. And so Steve is setting up a neighborhood meeting. And Elise is mentioning the hate mails. And Gus is basically telling the meeting, look, I ain't going nowhere. And so this guy, Glenn, he pipes up. And he's talking about, oh, I'm sure you guys are nice people. But he's like, you know what? Since you guys moved, the value of my house has dropped by $5,000. And he's like, it's nothing personal, but I, I, I've got to think about this. Come on. What am I supposed to do with, um, with that? And obviously Gus is like, it is personal. Like, who do you think you are telling me I can't stay in this neighborhood? He's like, I fought in Vietnam. I fought for this country. What have you done for your country? And there's all this stuff. So Alex steps in and he's talking about economics, and obviously Glenn, and obviously Glenn, Alex is like to Glenn, yeah, you're talking about economics? Yeah, that's my subject. And obviously he's like, if you just um, sort of like sort up your house and and whatever, then your property won't drop. And Maya's apologising, and she's saying, you know what? I'm sorry for moving in to this neighbourhood and disrupting everything. And then obviously Jennifer's like, but disrupting is being good. And then Phil and Nancy are starting to think about how they've got like doubts about their house, and obviously they're talking about how Steve borrows everything. So they're like, "Oh, we have tried to renovate our house, but Steve's got all of our equipment." And Maya saying, "You know what? If you're not making us feel welcome, then we might have to go." And then part two starts with Steve. He's wishing that he lived in a nicer neighborhood, and they don't want the Thompsons. They don't want to leave the Thompsons behind after that meeting. And Jennifer's saying, actually, why do we live in an all white neighborhood? Well what's up with that? And obviously, Elise and Steve they feel guilty about the meeting. They want to kind of go to their house and tell them, but they but obviously they're like, maybe we shouldn't get involved, maybe we shouldn't. And the kids are like watching them going, look, he's doing that kicking thing again. Watch what he's gonna say now. And then he's like, you know what, Elise? We should go for a walk she's like yeah good idea so they're basically going off to uh steve and they're going to gus and maya's house obviously they're like oh hey gus we was in the neighborhood and we thought we'd uh drop by we see that they're having a family meeting maya and Michael are like you know what we need to go we need to move but gus is like i don't want to move and gus is like i want i want i want i want i want to live in this house in dignity i want to Live here, and then obviously Michael's like, what, what, what's the dignity in us not being wanted? And Alex is Alex is giving Gus and Meyer a heads up about um, his parents coming along, and they're like, okay, okay, we'll, we got them. And Gus is like, you know what, I'm gonna change my mind. And you no, know, Stephen Elise want to tell them about how bad they feel, and Gus and Maya tell them that they want to move and that Steve himself is being too naive about racism. He's too nice, doesn't really understand the real world and how it works. Gus is obviously starting to change his mind because obviously Steve is like, look, come on, man, don't move. We work together, you live across the street. Like, come on, don't move. Gus is slowly starting to change his mind, but Maya's like, you lost the vote. She's like, I spent all my life fighting racism. I don't want to fight it when I have to come home from work every day. They're basically going out to dinner and they're like, let's, let's go out to dinner. Let's figure it out. So they're coming back from dinner and they find out their house has been trashed. And Michael comes and he's basically trying to fix everything. And then he sees the, uh, the graffiti and it says, wits only. And they're like, what's that supposed to mean? And it's like, oh, there's, there's someone who's carrying a missing E around somewhere in the neighborhood. And Maya's like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm packing my stuff and I'm going now. Get me the hell out of here now. And so the police show up, knocking on the door. And they're like, knocking on the door going, is this the house that's been robbed? And obviously Michael's looking around going like, what do you think, fool? And then they, they're they walking in. Mallory notices a car. She's like, oh, I've, I saw a car um, in, in the neighborhood. It might be that. And then Gus is like, yeah, that's my car. And she's like, oh, okay, ignore me, ignore what I said. And then I have to file a a police report. And this is a really nice scene between Alex and Andy. And I see Andy's like, why do the Thompsons have to move? And so Alex is talking to Andy about racism and how he's saying that there are some people in the world who think that they're better than everybody. But Andy's like, you're like that though, aren't you? And obviously Alex is like, Alex is like, yeah a little bit but not 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 in the extent where i'm going to discriminate someone that um money is not important and that everyone should be treated fairly regardless of their race and then obviously andy's like mommy daddy alex is sick because he said money's not the most important thing and then phil and nancy are coming over to Stephen and Lisa's house and they're obviously worried about the the burglar that the, the 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 smashing up of their house And obviously Steve is like, why are you here now? You didn't speak up for them when we were at the meeting. You're only talking about them because it affected your money. You don't really care about them. And then obviously Phil and Nancy are like, we're not a two-income family like you. Money is not really that important. And then obviously Nancy's like to Phil, so why don't you get a job then? And obviously he's like, I like staying at home. And then Stephen and Elisa, you know, we we don't trust the neighbors anymore. Like, what are we gonna do? Gus and Maya are telling Michael, look, keep the spirits up. We're gonna try and clean up. And so the Keatons all come and they're offered to help, sort of clean up. Michael is then now showing his pictures of parents fighting segregation, and they're talking about how when they can be free, the answer's blowing in the wind. I think I think it's a song, but um, and then obviously they start singing that song. And then obviously Steve and um, Elisa are like, yes, finally proof that there are kids. Because obviously they're singing a really hippie song. And they're looking at a picture of the March on Washington. And Michael's like, you know what? I'm going to fight. I'm going to stay here and fight no matter what. And so all the neighbors come around and they want to help put the house back together. And they're like, oh, where did you get all the tools? And they're like, oh, these are all the tools that Steve borrowed. And then finally the finale. Alex doesn't live here anymore. And so Andy and Steve are learning lines because Andy has to do a school play on dental hygiene. Alex is anxious because he's waiting for an investment banking job at O'Brien, Mathers & Clark, and it's based in New York City. And he has the phone blocked. And so every time someone tries to pick up the phone, you hear this siren going, put the phone down, put the phone down. <laughs> and obviously all the other ones are getting all annoyed about it. And so he, Alex is walking into the house and he's singing, start spreading the news i wanna be a part of it new york new york and obviously he gets a job and he'll become the youngest executive in history earning a whopping seventy five thousand dollars a year and stephen is like is it gonna fit i love this so much again he's like is this job gonna bring you fulfillment and alice is like bring me fulfillment it's going to bring it, clean it, and it'll be pressed in the morning for me. I didn't do it as half as good as uh, Michael J. Fox did, but that's just, yeah, like, I really, really like that. And Alex has to move next week. And Elise is like, you know what? I want to try and help. But obviously he's like, oh, everything's been sorted. Flights have been sorted. Apartments have been sorted. And obviously Jennifer and Mallory are like, oh, awesome. Let's, let's get all the... Uh, Let's get all the things together. And Alex is making all the, the, the kids carry everything. Stephen wants to have... I think this is what every father does if you're moving away. And it's like one of those farewell father to son conversations where you just talk about life. You talk about the dangers out there in the world. There's always a woman involved in these stories. I don't know why, but it, there just is. Watch out for her. She's a man-eater. She'll chew you out, and, and all of those, uh, all of those things, and he's passing advice on to his son. And Stephen was talking about how his father's advice was a penny saved is a penny earned. Yeah, and he, yeah, yeah, I he was warning Alex about New York women, and he admires Alex that he sticks to his beliefs, and he tells him not to lose his passion. And Steve gives Alex two hundred dollars to kind of get started. And obviously Alex is like, oh, come on, I don't want this money. And then obviously Steve's like, look, take this money. I don't want to hear any of it. And then obviously Alex is like, okay, then that's then uh, $74 that you owe me now.
1: Brilliant. I love that.
0: Elise is kind of being really strange about the whole thing. And obviously he's like, mom, you're going to come visit me in New York, aren't you? You want some settle?" And obviously he's like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I've got time for all of that. And so we go to Jennifer. She's basically measuring up Alex's room. she wants to turn it into a music room but obviously Alex is like uh hell no this is going to be a shrine and obviously Alex is accusing Jen of being politically naive but Jen Jennifer says you say that but I'm way smarter than you are and Alex tries to test her she's basically getting all the questions right and Jennifer's like I want I want to thank you for teaching me and pushing me and Jen is like you know what I'm going to be a lawyer if you're not careful, I might be the one to put you in jail, Alex. And then Mallory comes in to measure up Alex's room. And she wants to turn it into a sewing room. And Mallory's like, you know what? I'm really proud of you, Alex. And Alex is like, I'm proud of you being a fashion designer. And she's like, when you go to New York, why don't you get a a new wardrobe? And then part one ends with Stephen walking in with a tape measure. And Skippy and Nick are helping out with the moving process. And they talk about how they're going to miss Alex. There's someone called Lauren who comes over to see Alex and she's wishing him all the best. And Andrew, the human molar, is uh, ready for his play. Elise is like, hey, why don't you come out for pizza? And Alex is like, look, I've got so much to do for New York. And he's like, what is up with you? You're being really strange with me. Like, I've got important things to do. I can't come for pizza tonight. And Alex is, and then obviously Elise is like, "You're, you're being really ungrateful, arrogant little boy. And you're forgetting your family. We fed you. We clothed you. We've been there for you. And obviously Alex is like, you know what? I'm not even going to stay around for this anymore. I'm going to leave tomorrow. He's like, once Andrew's play is done, I'm, I'm out of here. And Stephen is basically telling Alex that he should apologize because that's what men do. You just apologize. Even if you're in the right, sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm sorry. What's what men do, fellas? If you're in, if you in, if you in uh, deep doo doo with your ladies, just apologize. I haven't given that uh, advice to the fellas in a minute, so yeah, I'm back with that advice. That's fellas. definitely good advice. <laughs> so yeah, they they they. Um, Stevens like you're so like your mum. You're just being really stubborn, and so they're watching the play, which was called "The Whole Tooth and Nothing But the Tooth." With Andy in it, and soon it's going to be time. And obviously, the play is talking about I think how teeth leave the mouth and things of that nature. And obviously, Elise is imagining that Alex is the tooth, and he's like, "Soon it's time for me to go." But Elise is like, "I don't want you to go." And obviously, Alex is like, "I can't fly all over the country for you." And so Elise goes to Alex's empty room. Alex comes to see her. And he wants to know why his mum is all upset. She's like, obviously, you're moving. Things are changing. If you could stay in this house forever, then I could keep you in this house forever, then I would. And obviously, Alex is talking about how he's feeling anxious about the job. He's worrying about how he's going to fail. And so, Elise is talking about how Alex was really callous about wanting to leave. And how he's saying, oh, New York, New York. And not really knowing how other people are going to feel about it. But Alex is saying it is going to be hard for me. And everyone understands, but except for mum. So Elise is trying to make Alex understand his point of view. Doesn't want to let him go. But Alex reassures her that he won't lose her. And he's going to miss his mum so much. And he's glad to be Alex Keaton's mother. Everyone's really up early in the morning. And they're having their last breakfast together. The cab is here and Alex has to go. He's like, I don't want he's like, I don't want an emotional show so he's basically shaking everybody's hand instead of uh, hugging them. So he leaves the house Very classic finale style he comes back for a hug and that's how that ends and the series finale was ranked 24 on TV Guide Network specials TV's most unforgettable finishes. And that was Family Ties.
1: Nice. Uh, like I said, the only thing I, uh, about this show is I didn't get to watch as much as I'd like to have done. Um, that's the only thing I can say about this show, really.
0: Yeah, this was just absolutely tremendous. It's Up There it was one of the best shows that we've ever done on Yesterday's Capers. For sure. I loved the the episodes and how they kind of dealt with societal things like racism and Death and, and and grief and how Alex dealt with it. Michael J. Fox is a brilliant, brilliant actor. I can't say highly enough about that. He deserves everything that he gets, and he's just he's brilliant, man. Absolutely loved this show, and yeah, absolutely brilliant. Right, so Manic Mansion now so this show came out in september 1990 and some of the things happening in the world transnistria declares its independence from the moldovian ssr however the declaration is not recognized by any government the premier of north korea yon Hyongmuk, muk meets with president of south korea Roh tae woo and it's the highest level contact between the leaders of the two koreas since 1945. pizza hut opens the People's republic of china nearly three years after the first kfc opened there in 1987. goodfellas was in the cinemas and the space jungle by adamski was in the charts so manic mansion so this was a canadian sitcom created by eugene levy very loosely based on the popular 1987 video game of the same name by lucasfilm games you have to bear with me, guys, if I keep saying Manic Mansion and not Maniac Mansion because, like I said, I don't know why my brain is skipping the, uh, the letters or jumbling up the letters in different ways, I don't know why. And while Manic Mansion primar- primarily derives its storylines from typical sitcom fairs such as family life and parent-child relationships, the series incorporates several prominent elements of science fiction. Fred Edison is a scientist who works out of the basement laboratory, which is partially powered by a mysterious extraterrestrial meteorite, and many episodes revolve around Fred's outlandish and occasionally disastrous experiments and inventions. As it is revealed in the series premiere, a mishap with one of these inventions caused genetic mutations in the two main characters, Turner Edison and Harry Orker. for the complete run of the series. Toddler Turner is a fully grown man with the mind of a child and Harry Orker is a normal-sized housefly with a human head, similar to the 1958 version of The Fly. Sharing many writers and performers with the 1976-1984 Canadian sketch comedy series Second City Television, Maniac Mansion has a very similar style of humour, featuring much of the dry wit and cultural satire common of SCTV ranging from pop culture references to film and television parodies. A particular staple of Maniac Mansion's comedy was the series' pervasive tendency of breaking the fourth wall with characters, usually Harry, addressing the audience to comment on the particular episode. Meta-referential humour was also a regular element of the show. A few episodes are presented as behind-the-scenes documentaries depicting the Edisons as an actual family starring in a sitcom based on their lives. Shot entirely in Toronto, Maniac Mansion premiered on YTV in Canada and The Family Channel in the United States. A large portion of Maniac Mansion's cast and crew were made up of the alumni of the Toronto comedy troupe Second City. And in 1992, article revisiting the set of the series, Entertainment Weekly remarked that Maniac Mansion was like an SCTV convention. The place is packed with veterans of the series. There are former Second City tv actors writers directors key grips even mansion's makeup artist is an old sc maniac mansion received generally positive views from professional critics during its initial run in a press release for the series time called it the looniest sweetest family comedy of the year listing it as one of the best shows of 1990. entertainment weekly called it a hundred proof hilarious while in 19 while in a 1990 article on the series the Los Angeles Times described the show as a stylized, sharp-edged comedy that's a bit like David Lynch on Helium. However, response from the gaming community and in particular fans of the original Maniac Mansion and graphic adventure games have been mixed. In 2011, retrospective review, PC Gamer magazine offered a predominantly negative opinion noting the series has roughly as much to do with the original game as a chipmunk's asshole resembles Sweden. <laughs> I'm really sure what that means. And calling two episodes that they had seen comedy vacuums and at best generic and at worst awful, though admitting they couldn't conclusively judge the entire series on a few episodes. The International House of Mojo, a website dedicated to LucasArts video games, also lamented the dissimilarity to the game but believed the series deserved the courtesy of a second look, calling it a surprisingly sweet-natured and noting the science fiction elements and offbeat brand of humour gave an otherwise typical sitcom a unique personality. They did win a couple of awards. So they won a Gemini Award in 1992 for Best Picture Editing in a Comedy, Variety, or Performing Arts Programme or Series. And they won a Cable Ace Award for Director of Photography and or Lighting Direction in a Comedy or Dramatic Series. Some of the characters, there's a... Fred Ellison, Dr. Fred Ellison, played by Joe Flaherty. He's a devoted father and absent-minded scientist. Casey Edison, played by Deborah Theka, was Fred's loving wife. Tina Edison is a popular but brilliant teenage girl who assists Fred in his laboratory, played by Kathleen Robertson. Ike Edison is a average and slightly rebellious preteen, played by Avi Phillips. Turner Edison is the toddler rapidly aged into a huge, bal- balding adult body, following a scientific accident, played by George Buzer. And Harry Orker, aka Harry the Fly, played by John Hemp Hill. And he's Casey's brother, who transformed into a half-man, half-absent housefly mutant by the same accident which changed Turner. Idella Muckle Orca is Harry's neurotic wife, played by Mary Charlotte Wilcox. Maniac Mansion.
1: Right, Maniac Mansion. I some of those reviews, um, one of them raised a good point. Maybe maybe I didn't watch enough of it. But what a trash show. What was the worst one of the worst things I've ever watched ever. Like not even not even close. I dragged myself through two episodes of this show. Yeah, I can't say anything good about it. Honestly, nothing, not even one good thing. Actually, no, I say, okay, i I'll bring it back. One good thing. The theme tune was all right. I like the theme tune. Uh, Everything else about this show was just like, I'm going to die if I have to keep watching
0: the show. I could not agree with you more. Oh,
1: thank God. I thought I was going to get told off on that one.
0: (laughs) I could not agree with you more. I like the theme tune, but that was it. Like I said, they they should have called it Manic Mansion. I was reading those reviews and I was astonished. I'm like, did I just watch that show that you all think is good? It deserves a second look. Okay, give it a second look and then tell me it's good with a straight face.
1: <laughs> oh, brilliant.
0: And I think, yeah, the pilot, I think it's the worst thing I've watched on yesterday's capers. One of the worst pilots, if not the worst pilot I've watched. I think this show could be worse than Bike and Mice from Mars.
1: Okay, so I put, halfway through writing this, my notes in this episode was was just absolute beep, 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 beep. Was my was my notes written down on that? Because
0: I get that they try to be different with the concept. They try to make it wacky. They try to do the whole fourth wall and all of that stuff. You know what? It's cool. Like I don't. I I like it. Be different. Try and branch out. But because obviously, family sitcoms, family shows in the eighties and nineties stacked. You wanna you wanna stick out. I get it. But I'm thinking Eugene Eugene Levy, he's he's like a really famous actor, producer. Dude has done whatever, a, any film you could think of. Dude's been in it, been there, done it, got the pictures. But yeah, this one, yeah, I, I would put this by the wayside. And obviously I've heard of um, Second City Television. I've heard of that whole comedy troupe and whatever. Yeah, this, this weren't it, y'all. This weren't
1: it. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this is this is not my this is not my cup of tea. Let's put it that way. Let's Spike Lee would say.
0: <laughs> no, this. Yeah, this 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 program was not it. And yeah, like I said, the pilot that you're gonna have the unfortunate to talk about. Uh, yeah, 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 it's a uh, worst worst pilot that I've watched in yesterday's Cape. yeah, I'm, I'm putting this in number one. I, I and I think this may have actually been worse than Hey Vern, it's Ernie as well.
1: Hey, Vern. I like that show. That's all right. <sighs> right. So, so there's a man asleep and he's looking after himself and it's kind of like dream sequence thing or something. Tina wants to bring Jose around, but Mum said, no, everyone's going to dinner, but they can't because the flies are out or something. Um, so they watch home movies. There's like a flashback show. Um, Harry's keeping an eye on Turner. Then they go, he throws a ball into the machine and then a fly goes in there and that's how they get the, the, the boy and the fly man. Turner runs off after story and Dad goes to see him. Scene of them eating dinner. She's a hippie. They're well-to-do. Absolute beep, 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 beep. That's the end of the first episode. I have my notes.
0: I think a little bit more that happens. So they're basically celebrating, I think, they're t- 10 years on TV. Like you said, Tina wants to go out with a date on Jose, but this says no because he's not written in the restaurant scene. I wrote Manchild wants chewing gum. Obviously, Manchild is Harry. No, it's not Harry. Tell a lie. It's uh, Turner. He wants chewing gum, but says no. They're basically going to the Taiwan Arms Restaurant, and they're going to have fun. And then, obviously, someone's coming in saying that they're spraying for red flies, so they can't go out. And now there's a gaping hole in the first act. The fly suggests watching home movies, talking about the highs and lows of ten years. It's a ratings grabber. They decide to have a flashback. It's better than the home movies. And obviously that's when they're talking about how they turn into a fly and he turns into a man boy. Fred goes to talk to Turner to reassure him after everyone was laughing about the story. And Fred is saying that they weren't laughing at Turner. Now they're watching a video of a picnic in the past. The anniversary show is falling apart, just like this show was in my eyes. The wife was telling the story about how she met Fred's parents and his parents might think she's a communist. She recites her favorite poem from Ulysses. And Grandpa wants his wife to learn it. Turner is satisfied with the explanation. But it was all a dream. And Fred is talking about starting a TV show. KC say that they should wake up and go to bed, whatever that means. What was the second episode you watched?
1: Series 2, episode 1.
0: Oh, the last episode I watched. No, the, the, the I watched the finale of season 1 called The Cliffhanger. Tina's trying to clean out the computer, but she finds some readings on the computer, and they figure out how to reverse Turner and Harry's mutation. They're trying to duplicate the mutation so that they can get it right. Everyone's recalling what they did on that day. Turner likes being big, so Tina and Ike, it was very interesting that they would call their kids Ike and Tina. I don't, I don't you know what, after watching the Tina Turner documentary, I'm not really comfortable about sort of, not romanticizing, but like talking about Ike, like, oh, it's Ike and Tina. Ike, Ike, Ike. Because Ike is a horrible, he was a horrible human being. He's an absolute scumbag. He's a scumbag of a human being. And obviously everyone's like, oh, yes, Tina Turner. Ike and Tina. Ike and Tina Turner and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. He he made her life hell for those 10 years or whatever they were together. And he doesn't deserve any remembrance in that in that sense anyway where the where where was i in my notes anything to not talk about this show fred is recording a video of the process casey doesn't want harry to leave and turn a be small and she wants things the way they are ike is trying to remind fred about the ball so there's a process missing then the production crew just comes out and they stop filming and they want it to be a cliffhanger so people will come back to watch the second series and it, and it cut straight to a rap party. There was a white lady who was talking in a Jamaican accent, which was so weird and random. And it wasn't even a good one at that. And it made me hate the show even more. Because it was one of those things where, okay, the first episode was bad. Let's see what they do with the second one. And yeah, the second one wasn't even, didn't, wasn't even any better. Um, yeah, Fred's complaining about a character on the show. He wants him replaced or he's going to leave. Harry's talking about what he might go and do next. And they're worried about Casey leaving the show to do a cop show in Venezuela. Ike's trying to find out what happens next. His voice is changing so he can't play a 10-year-old kid anymore. Tina's putting on weight and the exec's trying to take the food away from her. Fred fires a character that he has disagreements with and he ends up bickering with him. Fred's doing the speech about doing the show for 16 years. Says he can never leave the show as it's his home and it's his family. And it's all a dream again. And that was the end of that episode.
1: Right, Rush Through, Series 2, Episode 1. Harry the Fly is stuck. Uh, explain the episode bit. Show the bit in the pilot that never aired. And I'm not surprised it didn't air because it was shite. Uh, I can't even remember what it is. Tina and Dad and Brother seen Casey looking for money from Fred. Um, he's like, I don't want any money. And then he's like, oh, okay. And then she's like, I kind of want some money. Uh, back to Harry the Fly. There's a, He's doing a monologue. And Harry should have been... Fly in The Fly, but they missed him off the casting. Um, Arguing routine, and I just put, what the hell is this show? Harry has made Traps in the House, like Home Alone, because he's alone at home. Get it, you know? Um, So Fred Outside having a conversation about Fred being really good. The big um, adult thing (laughs) has a script. And then a woman in a room having coffee and donuts. And then that's what their script was about. And then another VT. And then he's all the time waiting for his entrance. And then he misses his entrance at the end. Yeah.
0: Did they even mention anything about them turning back to normal or what happened in that machine?
1: No, nothing at all.
0: So then they lied to viewers as well. I watched the finale, which was Idella's new career. They're having supper. Fred tells them that he wants to go on vacation because he's too knackered. And he refuses to drop Tina off. And he's basically eating apples going, how do you like them apples? Hum! And he's eating the apple. I, I, I kind of did giggle at this a little bit. I did think it was kind of funny. Turner wants to know why Fred is going on vacation. Idella says to do nothing. And then obviously Turner's like, yeah, like you then. And obviously Turner's asking Idella what she does for a living, but there's no answer. Idella is talking to Harry about life being meaningless and wasting talent. And she's thinking about getting a job. And Harry's basically too distracted about a crow, but he wants to support Idella nonetheless. Casey and Idella are trying to look for work in the papers. Idella is showing them a video of what she can do. They lie and say that they like this video that she puts out, and she wants to send the video to Cedar Springs. Many moons later, Idella is getting rejected and is in a foul mood, and she gets up to 652 rejections. Fred opens one of the letters from director Mr. Capicola and is opening a pizza shop and wants Idella for a role. Fred shows Idella the letter and she's over the moon. Idella is taking the bus to work and Fred is playing the pizza guy or the same actor. That's how you know by the end of the third season they just basically had run out of money. So he had to play the pizza guy. and So he has to do a naff Italian accent. And Mafia boss man, Don Amachi, comes to the pizza joint and he wants to talk to the Pino, but he's scared and he's basically asking a favour and he wants to hire the director's daughter and ditch Adela. And so she gets fired. And then back home, they're eating pizza after Adela was fired. And that was all I could physically take of this show. I couldn't take no more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you, you did more than me. So, I mean, I was out by... To be honest, I was out by episode one, but I "I've got to drag myself." I through. was
0: out by the first minute of episode one. Shoot, this dear, yeah, this show, this show, man. It started questioning, "Why am I doing this?" Yesterday's capers.
1: Yeah, I was thinking we've had a good run though. We had a good run of a lot of good <laughs> TV shows, and then, and then, bam, straight back to a...
0: oh, man. Yeah, i mean i haven't got anything else to say about this show i'm i'm ready to move on last but not least the wild house so this show came out in january 1997 and some of the things happening in the world Yesa arafat returns to hebron after more than 30 years and joins celebration over the handover of the last israeli controlled west bank city madeleine albright becomes the first female secretary of state after confirmation by the united states senate Turkey threatens Cyprus on account of a deal to buy Russian S-300 missiles prompting the Cypriot missile crisis. Beverly Hills Ninja was in the cinemas. And Your Woman by Whitetown was number one in the charts. The Wild House now. So this was a serialized children's program created by Gene Buchanan and later series were written partially by Mark Haddon who is the author of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime*? The Wild House, while a reference to the family surname, also gives an apt description of the impression of the family. Natalie, who seems to be the normal member of the family, is the character around which the show centers. The show is notable for its frequent use of soliloquy by at various times all of the wilds, even the dog Jasper. They speak directly to the camera, commenting upon their lives while dreamlike images are projected behind them. By the second series, Serena had left for Boston on a science scholarship. Later in the series, Mr. and Mrs. Wilde join her in the USA. The family and I looked after by aunts and uncles and a granny. Cousin Georgina, who's a feisty 16-year-old, also moves in. And in the finale, the rest of the Wild Client are prepared to go stateside. The characters, so Natalie Wilde, played by Ellie Bevan. She's an articulate 13-year-old middle child whose primary concerns we see in the transition from childhood to teenage years. She's generally the straight man in the face of all the absurdities going around her. Serena, who's played by the brilliantly named Honeysuckle Weeks. She's a typical teenager with teenage concerns, most prominently relationships. Her cousin Georgina, who later took her place, just had the same fixation but was more rebellious and manipulative. Arthur Wilde, Nicknamed Wart, played by Peter Kelly, is defined by his obsession with wildlife. He's constantly seen with dirt on his clothes and skin, presumably from where he has been digging around looking for mini beasts and seems impervious to this. He has no understanding of his sister's and cousin's attitudes towards relationship. Constantly says, yuck, the slightest reference to them. He has a friend named Emily who is just as obsessed with animals. But in spite of her being a girl, their relationship seems entirely platonic. Only once in the final episode did he kiss her, and even then they both said yuck and wiped it away. Aside from this, another frequent saying of his is, I bet David Attenborough never had this problem. And then Mr. and Mrs. Wild, played respectively by Philip Bird and Annette Ekbom. Mr. and Mrs. Wild take less of the stage than their children. They are, in most respects, both typical, average parents, with the possible exception of Mrs. Wild using a megaphone whenever she wants to make an announcement. So, The Wild House.
1: This was a little better than Man- Maniac Mansion. It wasn't the best show I've ever watched, but it was definitely way more um, uh, charming than than Maniac Mansion. The problem I had is that I watched this afterwards and I was still stung a little bit by um, Maniac Mansion, so it's still a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth, but I think it was a much better show. Yeah, it's. I mean, it still breaks the fourth wall. It's still got that element to it, but it's definitely 110% better than Maniac Mansion. I guess we don't have to
0: do the whole, so we have to choose now between the two shows.
1: No, this was a clear cut. Like, not even not even a thing, but, you know, it's, it still wasn't the best show I've ever watched, but, I mean, just head and shoulders above Maniac Mansion.
0: I take it you didn't watch it then,
1: on CBBC? Oh, no, absolutely not, no. But I do recognise Ellie Bevan though, But and I've checked her IMDB out and she's in nothing. Like, um, that I've watched. A couple of episodes of EastEnders, Casualty, probably seen her in Casualty a few times, My Family, but nothing that I really watched, but I really recognize her, which is crazy. So Yeah.
0: I think the only person who actually did stuff was Honeysuckle Weeks. Yeah. Hell of a name, that is. That's a hell of a name.
1: It is, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I remember watching this show very, very well as a kid on CBBC. Um, this was, yeah, typical uh, CBBC typical show. This is how I know you didn't watch c b b c or not really if you ain't watched the Wild House, you ain't watched c b b c especially in the nineties
1: no I mean uh, like i said the c b b c one that i you know was one hundred percent me was like Tracy Beaker. um most of yeah, most two thousands yeah yeah exactly, yeah, and I was like definitely c i t v before then so
0: yeah yeah, yeah so this was yeah. Yeah, 97. Yeah, TBBC. We used to watch this every Wednesdays or whenever he used to come on. We used to watch it all the time. We liked it a lot. The two episodes that were working that I managed to watch, I liked them. I thought they were good. Um, Yeah, I I, I liked the show, actually. I I didn't see anything wrong with it. It was was very charming. I did like the whole mum with the megaphone. Basically trying to get all the boys' attention because you can imagine what it's like being a parent of like boys or whatever or an unruly boy or unruly kids just going everybody up everybody up and using the megaphone i I do i do like that no yeah this show i I actually kind of liked it i thought it was a a pretty a pretty charming show typical british cbbc comedy family show probably in the similar vein to like microscope and other family shows that we um would have watched yeah, let's 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 talk about episodes we watched or episodes we could find.
1: Right. So I watched kind of like one and a half episodes because I, I did run out of time on this one. But um there was a one where there was a part season three, episode five was one I watched, and the other one was Arthur's birthday, I think.
0: Yeah, Arthur's birthday was one. I watched Arthur's birthday in full and I managed to find the link with the one that was working properly. So Arthur's birthday. So obviously Natalie's doing a piece to camera. Serena's not happy because Orlando, the lodger, left and Arthur, aka Wart, is back from a school trip. Serena's moping around. And Arthur's trying to remind everyone that is his birthday. He's allowed an outing and a party. And so they go to an insect place. Arthur obviously doesn't want Emily Jenkins at the party. Only Ben and Joe have been invited. And he has to apologize. And obviously the mum's like, Emily is gonna come to the party, and you're gonna apologize for putting beetles down her dress. And Arthur's in the diary room or something akin to the diary room. And he's talking about what he wants for his birthday. Chris Kitto. Oh, man. I remember that guy from my childhood. He's coming around to see Natalie. And he's asking Natalie out on Saturday evening. But Serena's obviously getting in the way. Natalie's venting about Serena getting in the way. And so Chris is calling Natalie to invite her to the party. And it's a barbecue and disco party. Mum asks Serena to help out as it's Natalie's first date. Arthur wants a birthday cake in the shape of a slug or a snail. Dad is expecting a phone call, but again, it's for Natalie, and she wants to practice dancing with her friend. Serena is reflecting on her sister's first date. She thinks that she should be dating and not her little sister. I wrote they're like doing little dance practices and they're trying on clothes, and there's obviously no rhythm, I wrote. They're trying to, like, do, I don't know, dance moves. And you got Arthur in the background dancing as well, which I thought was hilarious. He's just, yeah. And I wrote iconic alarm clock. Because obviously, like, beep, 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 beep. And the dog starts barking. And then Natalie would always come out. She would scream, quiet, Jasper. And Arthur's like, is anyone not going to say happy birthday? And then everyone just cries around him going, happy birthday, Arthur. And... Mom is going on the outing instead of Dad. And Ben and Joe are here. They bring instruments because I think they're going to play Happy Birthday for Arthur when they come back from the outing. Mum comes with a megaphone going, we are all going out with in three minutes. Everybody be down here. And Mum is basically stressed out because obviously you've got to take three boys. They're back from the thing or whatever. She just drops the mic- megaphone in his hand and is like, yeah, your turn now and then they the boys are scheming to get emily with a water gun serena's helping natalie with her outfit but em- em- emily's already thinking two steps ahead of the boys the boys are playing checkers while emily's out here playing chess i don't know how she managed to sneak into the house without anybody looking at her it's
1: quite good that part
0: with the water gun and then she ends up And then obviously Natalie comes out and then obviously they don't see her, so she gets soaked by Emily and Arthur. Chris is here and he's waiting for Natalie. Natalie's upset that her first date is ruined, but Serena decides to help out. And then mum is like to Arthur, look, Emily's here, so you better play with her, whatever. And so he's like, go and show her the guinea pigs outside. And then obviously Arthur's showing Emily. And then obviously Emily's wearing a jumper and she manages to name all the owls on the jumper. And Arthur's like, all right dang you know animals I'm impressed and obviously Arthur's like how the hell you know that we were going to do water guns or whatever Emily's like I've got a tree house and I can see what everyone is up to and Natalie's all dressed up and ready to go and so Arthur and Emily decide to tag team and they soak Ben and Joe and then I think the episode ends with oh look our kids are all in love Serena's in love with Orlando and uh, Natalie's in love with Chris and Arthur's in love with Emily. I think I actually remember this scene from when I was a kid. And obviously they're like, "Are you sure?" And then obviously I think the mum was like, "Yeah, those two, they, 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 like each other, and and things of uh, things of that uh, nature." And yeah, that was that episode. And then obviously the other one was uh, season three, episode five. And this is obviously where um, parents are in uh, in America with uh, Serena. So uh, Georgina and her parents are basically uh, staying at the house.
1: Um, so there was a party the night before, evidently, um, Georgina's parents have come home from a dig and Matt Jenkinson has made a mess. Arthur comes down and he's in a mess as well, covered in mud, like you were talking about earlier. Matt comes down, Matt comes in, he's got a ferret tombola to take to like a fake thing with, but he fancies Georgina and he does washing up to convince Georgina to come. Uh, Arthur tries out, sorry, the ferret tombola and his auntie comes back from the, um, from the, from the ball that she's been at and she's had a really good time. She kind of dances around and she dances with Matt and does a tango um and that's aunt yvette sorry arthur loses a ferret and he kind of just chases it around um and then Auntie Vet decides to take the parents things well because they come back from the dig upstairs into the bedroom and they take all the stuff down but they take the ferrets up by mistake um and then uh, matt and arthur are looking for the ferrets uh the parents scream and they kind of go up to find them um and then matt apologizes to georgina but he's not having any of it and that's all i wrote because i got to like six minutes before the end
0: yep so yeah i think they find the uh the ferrets of the Tombola and there and Emily, Arthur, and Yvette is basically there playing with the ferret Tombola. Matt's trying to apologize to Georgina, but she can't hear him. As she has Robbie Williams loudly playing. And Gina's mum wants Gina's mum wants the, the ferrets gone. And uh, Georgina's man friend Gavin is here. Arthur tells Georgina that Gavin is here and she goes to see him. He brings her flowers. Natalie tells Georgina's mum that Gavin is dating her daughter and it's not. Her. G Georgina talking about her dad and how he used with tools. Yvette's calling a cab to leave and wants all of her bags packed and taking Mr. Parsons the parrot. Natalie has a special delivery for Yvette and she has to go to a commercial, polishing furniture commercial. Natalie gets a call from Dave, who she's been waiting for this whole time, and then drops all the food. And that was how that episode ended.
1: Yeah, I think it was a pretty good, pretty decent episode, actually. I and mean, both both episodes weren't bad. To be honest, um, they weren't they weren't particularly good in my opinion, but they weren't bad either. Um, <laughs> uh, like I said, it's, you know, still sour taste in my mouth. I it?
0: did I did like Arthur when I was a kid, particularly. He was like he was definitely like my favorite character. I could sympathize a lot with Arthur,
1: and I like the fact that he's very um, kind of adventurous. Doesn't mind the bugs, and you know, like typical boy getting into all sorts of like mischief and stuff like that so yeah yeah I mean all the all the characters are quite likable to be honest
0: yeah he's a big David Attenborough fan as well so that should never go unnoticed David Attenborough legend of the game and everything that goes with it so yeah that was the wild house and I'm sure we don't have to do the whole and now we have to choose between the two of them and uh
1: yeah we definitely don't have to do that
0: <laughs> yeah if i don't if I don't watch another episode of uh maniac mansion then uh it's too damn soon. Um, yeah, right. So, uh, on, and, and you know what? If if by any coincidence that people, a streaming site decides to uh, put up family ties, then uh, go ahead and do it, man. Because family ties is just brilliant. I can't imagine it would be too expensive to put on a streaming site. Because I don't remember if they did have, like, lots of um, music on there that is going to cost a lot of money to...
1: No, I mean, they're were, a they were, they were pound an episode on uh,
0: Amazon. So, I mean, should be fine, right? I would I would imagine that. So, because I remember the, like part of the reason why the Wonder Years isn't on any platform is because the music was just too damn expensive. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's the thing. If you've got to, like, license every track and there's like...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just one of those things. It's like, man, we can't afford it. But Family Ties, if you haven't seen this show, I would recommend you go out of your way to watch this show obviously Michael J Fox is a brilliant actor and so are the rest actually all of the kids want awards so it's not just uh, Michael J Fox it's all of the kids as well so definitely go out of your way to watch this show and on that note I'm going to bring the episode to an end yesterday's capers is available wherever you get your podcast from we appreciate everybody listening wherever you are around the world Please keep listening. Please keep supporting. We appreciate each and every one of you. We're available on all the podcast platforms. So you can always listen on there. Turn on your notifications so that you get episodes delivered to you at your door, either on the Friday or the Saturday. We're available on all the social platforms. So Instagram is Yesterday's Capers One, Twitter is Yesterday Capers youtube.com forward slash yesterday's capers facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers you can find me on the socials at instagram it's abdullah underscore molim and on twitter it's abdullah molim all one word and yeah join us next time for another episode of yesterday's capers what would
1: we do baby, without us?